the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have a very special guest. We have Otha Smith III, CEO of Tetragram. Um, I have to say, you know, before before I bring Otha in, that I have been so impressed with this app because. My jaded ass has seen a lot of technology in the past 10 years, especially around apps, around cannabis journaling and things like that. And this has been the one that caught my eye. So I'm really encouraging you to check it out. But we're going to get more into the details um, and also some really interesting, wonderful facts about Otha as well. But Otha, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I always love talking to you and I'm really excited about our conversation today. Hey, Tara. Thanks for having me. Um, glad to be here as well and have this opportunity to talk further with you. <laughs> I hope you don't mind that. I was like, bye, Jada Daz. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I, was, I was like, all right, she's keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, there were a few things that, I mean, initially, I remember seeing an article about you before we met and one of the things that really impressed me, not only with the app after we started going through it and talking about it, but the fact that there are a lot of people who come into the cannabis space from other areas. And of course, they bring their skill sets with them, and it's incredibly valuable. But a lot of people really don't have, haven't really gone after like a true understanding of the working nature of cannabis and the, the in-depth things and what you have to do to get there. Because Every time somebody asks me, you know, how do I get a job like yours and get the understanding that you have about cannabis, I'm like, well, you leave a really good paying management job and you get behind the bar and you dig in and you learn. And that was something that I had seen that you did. And I really, really respect and admire the fact that you were willing to take that dive too. And before we get into like all of that, I want to hear about your first experience with cannabis. Oh, that's a great question. Great question. So, uh, so I grew up in uh, South Anne Arundel County in Maryland, so about thirty minutes south of Washington D.C. Um, it wasn't until like actually years later, when I became an adult, that I found out that the area that I grew up in, South Anne Arundel County, was very notorious for growing weed. <laughs> so. Um, everybody in my neighbor in, in my area of South Anne County, it's a very rural area. So I grew up on like three and a half acres of land. Uh, my neighbors grew up like Dixie Barksdale Farm was behind me. That was a hundred acres. So I just say all that to say that cannabis has always been in my life. Uh, my neighbor actually dropped out of high school to follow the Grateful Dead, and it was him. I'll never forget. I won't mention his name. Uh, but it was him who I had my first cannabis experience with um, in my father's shed uh, when they were at work. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> how old were you? Uh, I was 13. Oh, me too. Yeah. That was my first time, too. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget it. I was 13, and we, uh, man, this is terrible to say, but we didn't have any, like, bong or anything like that. It was the old aluminum foil days. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, years later, we find out how terrible that is for you. But, um, 
Yeah, that's what, that was my first cannabis experience. I didn't know what it was. Of course, he was just like, hey, I got some grass. Do you want to smoke? I was like, yeah, I want to try it. And, um, you know, he was much older than me. So that was my first experience. And my father shed, my parents shed, um, when I was 13 years old, aluminum foil was the device. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you feel anything your first time? I don't, from my recollection, I really didn't. Like, I... I remember feeling like goofy or a little, you know, definitely more relaxed. Um, but it wasn't that moment where I was just like, man, I'm stoned or anything like that. I think I was just like really, really goofy and relaxed about it all. Um, I guess maybe I was so worried about the anticipation that it just really didn't impact me the way I guess it did. But I, I don't, I don't really recall feeling like stoned or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a common thing. I know I, I felt the same way. I actually, actually had my friend go to the person we got it from and try to get our money back because I thought we got ripped off. Oh, really? Yeah, that's hilarious. But I, I, yeah, I was just like, he was like, you feeling anything? I was like, not really. He was like, well, you know, just wait. <laughs> but, never really felt anything, but just felt a little, definitely felt goofy for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, going forward into the future what made you what made you decide well, actually what were you doing before cannabis what made you decide to step into it and learn more about it and then what what prompted you to do the app and i know i just gave you a bunch of stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. i remember all that but not um, so <laughs> i'll prompt you know i will <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Um, but no, prior to cannabis, I actually had the most corporate of all corporate jobs. So I, um, I've always been in the energy sector prior to cannabis selling, you know, renewable energy, solar panels, backup power. Um, and so I worked for Constellation Energy, which was owned by Exelon, so the largest utility company in the country. And so at that job, I actually sold electric and gas commodities um, and deregulated states along the East Coast. Um, very rewarding, high-paying job. And like you said, I left it all to become a bud tender in order to learn this industry. Um, but that's what I, what I did prior to cannabis. So I was always been a math guy, big in the numbers, and so that, that type of job was right up my alley. Um, but I got into cannabis through an unfortunate event a little over a decade ago where I was involved in a car accident that uh, changed my life forever. I fell asleep at the wheel, was ejected about 100 feet, and landed on my head, resulting in a TBI. Wow. Um, Yeah, I was actually pronounced dead on the scene. Um, But luckily for me, I had a friend who was in the car, and she walked away unscathed, um, who was going to school at John Hopkins to become a doctor, where she is today. Um, So that, in conjunction with my parents always telling me, you got a hard head, I was able to make it out. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. Um, but you know, I've always been a holistic person, you know, I can count on one hand how many times I'd ever used pills. And so, you know, uh, once I got out of the hospital, I was prescribed like all these different opioids, you know, Xanax, Vicodin, I mean, uh, Oxycontin, Oxycodone in order to manage my pain and the PTSD I suffered from it. And I was just like, this is not how I want to live my life, like taking pills for the rest of my life. No, thank you. Um, so that's what led me to, uh, started diving more so into cannabis because I've always been a fan of it throughout high school and college. And then 
once it became legal in my home state of Maryland, they uh, opened up a dispensary five minutes from my house. And I'll never forget the first time I walked in there. I was um, completely blown away. You know, I've never heard of terpenes and cannabinoids. Like, when you buy weed from your, your legal dealer on the street, he's just like, I got mid-grade and I got high-grade. Like, what do you want? Or I got some Reggie, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just not familiar with that type of terminology. So, that's when I started to really dive into the industry and then understand the medicinal benefits of these terpenes and cannabinoids. And it's not just all about THC. Um, and that's what gave me the idea to create Tetragram because I see all these different products and I want to try them all, but there's no way I would keep track of it all. So that's, that was the light bulb effect right there. Yeah. And I, before I checked out the app and we spoke, when I'd heard your story, I felt very, I, I was very hopeful with the product because I, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me from the tech sector, um, who didn't have any cannabis experience, but had somebody in their family who worked in the medical field who also didn't have cannabis experience, but together they were going to put together a cannabis app. And, you know, it was always kind of, you know, can I pick your brain? Can I look at it? And I'd be like, well, you can, you know, coffee has a consulting fee. <laughs> so you know people paying to have coffee with me to look at it and then I, me feeling bad like because it's it's a horrible app or you know it's just not well thought out but at the same time you know at least feeling happy that my time wasn't wasted because right. <laughs> you know but with you like not only do you have the technical knowledge but you you have a deep understanding with how this all works. And so I, I was really, I was really impressed when we did the walkthrough on the app, just how in depth it is for people to be able to um, track their experiences, track the products, and then also the data component of it, which is really valuable for not only for research, but also for business in particular, you know, for buyers to see, what's appealing to their clientele, what they're using it for, the cannabinoids, the terpene profiles, all of that. And I know that I just covered like some brief things on it, but will you kind of explain to our listeners a little bit more about just what a great tool it is for the individual, but also on the back end for the companies that are engaging with your app? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that's really been our secret sauce is that, like you said, like there's a lot of people who have a tech tech knowledge and know how to build tech, uh, but they're not cannabis consumers. And like when we saw these other applications that are out there, we were just like, these are people who are fit that mold. They don't, they're not cannabis consumers. And so when we built Petrogram, me building it through the eyes of a consumer and definitely medically focused has definitely been something we've been able to champion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really about, we built Tetragram with one goal and one goal only in mind, and that is to take the data that we're collecting to not only empower the consumer to understand not just what product, but what terpenes and cannabinoids are working best with their endocannabinoid system. I mean, that's our number one goal. And then on the flip side of that coin, all this aggregate data that we collect anonymously in this crowdsourced way we utilize to empower the industry. So, you know, when I look at dispensaries, for example, 
and they have staff that are making product recommendations, but you know they're using their own their own knowledge of what they've used and what they their own experience to make these recommendations. And if they haven't tried it, you know they're just throwing darts at the wall. I mean, I was one of them when I worked at the dispensary when I first jumped into this industry. I really didn't know what was going to work. I just read the most information that was available in order to make the best decision. But you know, with the data that we collect, imagine providing a dispensary with thousands upon thousands of reviews on each product that they sell. And then that review data says, you know, these products are good for X, Y, and Z medical condition or for this level of recreational enjoyment. And then that just changes the conversation by making that dispensary staff agent so much more confident in making a product recommendation because they've seen reviews by thousands of people. Um, when we look at brands or cultivators, for example, um, this is something we really want to address with our technology because I feel like Tetragram will establish, you know, the first ranking system of cannabis strains and products in the industry. You know, everyone claims that their product can do this or it can do that, but they really have no data to back up those claims. And so by having cannabis consumers and CBD consumers you know, log their experiences in a tetragram and then rate the effectiveness of that experience, we can utilize that information to say, like, wow, if there's, if there's for example, like there might be 5,000 people growing Blue Dream. Um, but we, we all know that all 5,000 of those Blue Dreams are going to be inherently different. And some of them might not even be Blue Dream at the end of the day. Right. So the ones that are, you know, the ones that are showing that true benefit, again, from recreational medical that's really going to uplift those people who are growing those great strains or those great products. And the ones that aren't, either they step up their game and go back to the drawing board of their genetics, or they just get out of the, the, the game altogether, you know? Um, and then lastly, and most importantly, is this that is this is something, this type of data that we're collecting is something that doctors, I mean, you know this, have been itching to get their fingers on so that they can educate their patients better and ultimately feel more comfortable about you know, jumping the line and saying, I support cannabis, and these are the reasons why, because we have this data in black and white, and that can also be used from a legislative purpose to help move the needle at the end of the day. Yeah, and you've made it very, very user-friendly for people. Now, I know that there was, I can't remember, remind me, it, do you now have QR code capability for downloading the information, or is that something that's coming in in the next version? Yeah, so that's something that's a great point. So that's something that's coming in in the next version, not in the current one, um, but it's really great to see that the industry is starting to pay attention. I mean, you know, COVID pretty much bought back QR codes. I mean, it was a dead technology five years ago, you know? Right, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, now that, because, you know, five years ago, you had to download an app that could read a QR code. Now with phone technology scaling so quickly, you know, that QR code reader is built into your camera. And so, um, you know, it's just a, an alignment of the right timing, but I'm glad to see the industry moving forward with QR codes too, because, you know, at the end of the day, that gives Tetragram the ability to import that information a lot more quicker and accurate on the consumer's behalf. Yeah, and this could, I mean, realistically, you could, people could use this as a tool or professionals could use this as a tool for research protocols. A hundred percent. And so that's one of the things that um, we don't showcase on our website because we're going through the process of building out version two. So we're saving some of it. But, you know, I'm, I openly talk about like we do have a version of Tetragram, a white label version 
that we use exclusively for research. Because again, um, understanding the impact of cannabis is our, our ultimate goal. Um, and so we work with universities, independent researchers, and you know, I am happy to say that now brands and cultivators are starting to say, you know, we can't just make this product, we can't just grow this strain and put it in the marketplace because people love weed. You know, through people such as yourself, Sarah, you know, you're educating consumers so that they're saying they're asking more intelligent, intelligent questions like, what is this good for? What's in it? And now these manufacturers are having to go back to the drawing board and say, let's do some research on this product before we put it out. And uh, so we can serve that need, which is expanding dramatically. So it's really refreshing to see. That's awesome. I think it also helps illustrate when I, when I do like trainings for healthcare professionals, one of the biggest questions that I get is, can you give me dosages and ratios for, for certain needs? And that's when I always look at them, and especially like when, when I do trainings with pharmacology students, I laugh and I'm like, you know, the human body isn't like that. And it really puts forth the, it really illustrates how we can have a basic knowledge about how the majority of human beings respond to certain ratios and dosages. Um, and also, you know, just cultivars in general, but we're walking chemistry experiments, so really, like, there are there can be subtle differences in reactions or extreme differences, depending on what's going on with your body chemistry, your neurodiversity, things like that. And the app, I think, capturing the information from people really illustrates that fact and can help educate, you know, healthcare practitioners to really understand that there's that. And I know that as human beings, we always want to have this one-size-fits-all Thing with everything because it makes it easier for us to market and manufacture, um, but that's just not the reality. Yeah, I mean, totally not. I mean, and it, I mean, we could really go down some rabbit holes with this, but it's like you know, I, I wreck my brain every day. Like, how far do we drive the user experience in Tetragram without making people feel like they're getting lost in the process? Right, so. Mm-hmm. You know, to your point, like when it comes to edibles, for example, or anything like with cannabis, what did you eat that day uh, before you consume? Because that plays a role in terms of what that effect might be as well. So, I mean, we're really only scratching the surface, but um, you know, I think there's exciting times ahead uh, for sure in terms of further understand how this might work for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. What are you? What do you really? What do you hope to change as far as the perception of cannabis use and products? And I mean, we've talked some about that, but are there other things in particular that that you're really looking to be impactful around using, well, with the launch of, of this app and then the future versions? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, first and foremost, I just want to get people away from thinking about THC. <laughs> right. Um, you know, THC is always going to be there, regardless if it's five percent, if it's twenty, thirty percent. You know, that's that's something that's a cerebral component. So, regardless of the amount, you're always going to feel that that euphoria. Um, so, I, I really am hopeful because I'm starting to see it happen already, where people are just paying more attention to the terpenes and cannabinoids as opposed to THC. Make that the last thing you look at. Um, I would hope that eventually we would stop as an industry 
uh, you know, sensationalizing these product names. I mean, some of these product names, like Chernobyl, for example, like, I don't want to try that, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or, uh, or, or Green Crack, like, no thank you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that was one that we always renamed because it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, people always ask about, like, I remember uh, somebody coming in, many years ago who was a Vietnam vet and we had agent orange on the, on the menu and Oh, did he get mad? And really? yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you weren't even alive. I'm like, well, I actually were, I was alive during Vietnam, but I was very little. So I don't, I don't re- recall, but sir, yes, I understand, you know, where you're, where you're coming from. I mean, it was actually, from my knowledge is actually named after the punk band agent orange, but still, really unfortunate and i think like with our i don't think that names are going to go away because there's a rich story that happens behind it but i think that we're getting more maturity around it um and we are getting more into like chemovars yeah yeah i mean and the one thing that you know is kind of that bugs me a little bit is, is i feel like we're getting We've lost some, some people in this industry have really lost track of what we got into this industry for, what we legalized this plant for, you know? Um, like, it's all about the medicinal value of cannabis. And now I just see the industry in certain regards, like, just trying to sell products and get people stoned, which is, you know, not what we started this for, not what um, a lot of the advocates such as Steve D'Angelo and the list goes on jumped into this and um, put their life's work into making sure that people see the medicinal value of it. So I would hope that through the data that we're collecting, we can circle back and make sure and stay focused on the fact that, you know, this is a plant by God that was intended for human consumption in order to improve our quality of life and not just, you know, have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Because with, with the legalization movement, I mean, we really, we all were hoping for, you know, greater safe access to the plant but um you know it's it's one of those things that we saw here in california when we got into adult use and people were like oh it's party time and (laughs) even you know a couple people i I had this one young woman at an event basically tell me well introduce me to somebody and basically tell them that i was i was no longer relevant since we weren't in a medical state anymore (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, exactly. I just looked at her and I was like, well, you know, whether we call it medical or or adult use or recreational, it's it's still a substance that creates a reaction in the body. And we still have to have conversations about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, when people say I'm not a medical user, I'm a recreational user. I'm just like everyone's a patient in my eyes uh, because, you know, and it's only, you know, it's only through conversation. Like you talk to these people who claim they're recreational only. And you say, all right, cool. So what do you use it for? And they're like, well, you know, it helps me relax, helps me sleep. I'm like, oh, so, you know, there's drugs out there for that, too, you know. (laughs) And then then they're like, and then they look at you and like, well, damn, you know, you're right. (laughs) Like, exactly. So, um, and, and, you know, to your point, too, like here in Maryland, where it's medically only, you know, recreation is right around the corner here in Maryland. And. You know, Maryland made it part of their regulatory framework that every dispensary has to have a clinical director on staff. And a lot of these clinical directors are very worried, and they should be, because, you know, um, dispensary owners don't want to pay that salary just to have someone sit and consult with people. They just want to push product. And so, again, that's why with the data that we're collecting, I hope we can keep 
um, our mind focused on a medicinal aspect of it. Right. Well, and the whole clinical director thing in Maryland is really interesting because it seems like there needs to be somebody on call at all times. But from what I've heard, not all, some, some of them don't even know as much as the people that are in the stores. I mean, it's it's still kind of a a continuation, even like. The one one thing that I've noticed with education, and and this is this is a point of frustration for me. It's like um, a colleague of mine was in the Maryland Masters program for cannabis, and I was asking them, you know, how much do you think you're learning? And they were saying, you know, there are some things that I'm getting out of it, but by and large, it's a lot of stuff that I already know. And I was asking about if the if the instructors were people who were actually like had cannabis knowledge or are they instructors that have knowledge in other areas and they're given curriculum. And they said that it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, and that's what we're seeing here too. Like we're seeing, I remember um, when I was doing some work with, you know, teaching in colleges and there was a lot of pushback from faculty around it. And now that there are more programs that are coming up, the faculty or that are there are teaching those classes. Some of the people who, were, you know, not wanting those classes or don't have, you know, deep cannabis experience or teaching it because they're institutionalized as educators. And I think that there has to be a happy medium with that because otherwise it's just as bad as the certificate programs that people are getting that are basically worthless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a blind leading the blind sometimes, you know. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you're exactly right. You find some that know a lot, some the majority don't know a lot. Um, and there was a report that came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago that said that, you know, they asked a bunch of patients, uh, not medical patients, just uh, people who, you know, go to the doctor, of course, and they were like, how, how comfortable do you feel? How confident are you that your doctor knows enough about cannabis to make a recommendation? And I think it was like 40 or 50% said they're not comfortable at all that their doctor can make recommendations. And, you know, again, this all leads back to the lack of research that's been conducted in, you know, recent years. There's no fresh research. Um, so doctors are learning just as much as the patients are, which is, you know, one of the reasons why in version two of Tetragram, we're going to create that conduit so that the patient can share their reviews directly with their doctor. So by doing so, we can really empower both through the data that they're sharing back and forth and both parties can you know, just learn um, collectively about what's working and what's not. I think that's really, really important. That That's one thing with, you know, our our consultants behind the bar with my company is, you know, I hear people saying all the time, oh, you know, bud tenders are giving medical advice. They shouldn't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I always kind of counter with, well, you know, um, my colleagues actually understand that they're not healthcare professionals. Uh, they give, they empower people with information. They educate people with information so they can make empowered decisions for themselves. But they also give them the information to take back to their physicians and encourage them to have these conversations. And the physicians that I've, I've, who have attended my trainings that I've worked with in the past have said that, you know, they, they learn so much from their patients sharing their cannabis experiences. Not only does it help them have a full picture of what's going on with them, um, and then, you know, if they understand about like the drug interactions too, like the cytochrome P450 reaction, especially with CBD edibles that, you know, they can help 
better help their patients, but the information that they're getting from them when they start to see patterns and what's helping people actually helps them help other patients as well. And I wish, and I think that like the work that you're doing with the app kind of helps, um, it, it gives it a place to sit where people can actually look at it. Yeah. I mean, again, this, uh, our key word is empowerment. Like we just want to empower everyone who stepped their, put, took their toe or took the full leap into this industry. Um, and the best way to do that is through data. I mean, we, this industry has spent so much time focused on growing and dispensary, you know, this retail um, advancement that, you know, we've left out some of the, the, the pillars of any industry, and one of them is, def- is definitely data. I mean, especially in this industry where we're looking to, you know, utilize the product to address medical conditions or just improve people's lives. You know, how can we stand? How can we not pay attention to data? So, mm-hmm. and it's such a data is such a valuable thing. Like I, I remember, even years ago, having like different researchers or different uh, institutions, you know, approaching me about like getting our data and like being like, oh, well, you know, just share your data because we're doing these research things. And I'm like, that, you know, that costs money. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's not, that's not free. And you know it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm, we're we're excited that you're supporting it and that you're getting into it, but that doesn't mean you get it for free because that's you know you're going to profit off of it. Um, so yep. let's let's look at that, and that's you know I I think an amazing way for you to be able to capture the data without having to like talk somebody into giving it up, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I love about cannabis is that, you know, I think you and I talked about this, but it's the most communal plant in the world. Like, I mean, until COVID happened, you know, I rarely smoked alone, you know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we were talking about <laughs> the puff, puff, don't pass movement. <laughs> right, right. We started, there's a whole new movement, puff, puff, don't pass or bring your own plan, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> BYOC, if you want to hang with me. Um, but, uh, I mean, you're exactly right. Like, you know, the community of, of this industry is what's going to help foster the growth of people understanding what's going to work. Um, and they're sharing those experiences with others. Like, it's just contagious and with cannabis for people to just want to provide their feedback and their, their personal experience with a product because, I mean, until federal legalization happens and we can really get some grant money or funding for for research you know all we have is us and we need to um you know share our our, our, our experiences with others so that you know we can become enlighten we can enlighten each other you know, this might work for you man this is what it did for me i can't make any promises but you know give it a try yeah okay, that's, the, that's the only way forward right now oh it totally is i i like to i like to call that conversation as normalization Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling that one. (laughs) It's my hashtag, and I'll share it with you. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) Totally. But it is. It's like, you know, whenever, like, back when I still worked behind the bar, you'd have people who'd be like, oh, hey, you know, I was having problems sleeping, and my friend's been using these chocolate-covered blueberries. I think I want to try them. And it's like, that's awesome. That's awesome that you're having that conversation and people need to have 
those conversations with people that they trust, where there's no judgment, where they're relaying experiences. And then the next step is like, is creating that safe container for experimentation so they can figure out what works well for them. And that's, you know, I think that your app is a great tool to, to build that container. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, even in my household, so, you know, we um, we have a daughter. She's uh, 19 years old. She's uh, doing her first year. At, uh, Wait a minute. Fashion. You have a 19-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, I have to say, you just, well, you just don't look like you nope. have a 19-year-old. I know. That's, I was about to say, fools everyone, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Black don't crack over here. You know? so. <laughs> That's what I always say on my side, beige don't age, but quoting Miss Miss Margaret Cho. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, she knows what her dad does, and uh, I'm very open about it. Um, I've been open about it ever since she was really um, like 16, 17. And, uh, you know, basically took a, a page out of my parents' uh, playbook. And when I was coming up, you know, my parents are from – uh, my father's from uh, State Five, but my mother's family is from Barbados. And so, you know, in the Caribbean, like cannabis is a second nature. And so, you know, growing up, my father was like, I'd much, I'd much rather you uh, smoke than drink. Um, and I said the same thing to my, my daughter. I was like, you know, I've, had, I've gotten in more trouble under the influence of alcohol than I've ever gotten um, under the influence of cannabis. And, uh, you know, she's very straight, straight and narrow and um, came home and, you know, told me that uh, she's tried it a couple of times and, uh, you know, she doesn't see what the big deal was. It's federally illegal. So we had that whole conversation about the, you know, the racial history of it and so forth. But I guess I just say all that to say you just got to have the conversation and, um, you know, show that, you know, there isn't the negative stigma exists because of certain political reasons. Yeah, I think it's it's really really wonderful that you had the conversation with her when um when i was vice chair of the san francisco task force when even now on an oversight committee we have a member of the san francisco unified school district on there and one of the big things that we would talk about was youth access and you know people were really afraid you know the, the thing that always comes up when there's opposition to a cannabis business is what about the children and it's like well have the conversations. And not only that, but research is showing that as we continue legalization and there isn't as much stigma around it and it isn't as taboo, kids aren't really, I mean, we, we, Jeff and I, before the pandemic, we went to Hawaii and um, I had, we'd had a couple people that were like our age or older that, you know, we had interacted with and we had gifted them some cannabis and they're like, oh, hey, thanks. That's awesome. But like, you know, younger people and of course, these are people who were old enough to use cannabis legally, just so you all know out there, but still young. <laughs> but they were all kind of like, throw that out there. yeah, they're like, nah, I don't do that. My uncle likes it. But it's like it's it's actually gone the opposite way where it's not even as cool for youth because there there is no taboo because I, I don't know about you but I was a very precocious kid so anything that somebody told me I wasn't supposed to do I was like ooh exactly exactly I mean, same here because you know curiosity kills the cat right and it's like uh, for real anytime you tell, yeah exactly anytime you tell someone don't do something they're going to be like well why shouldn't I do it let me try it let me try it out or figure out why um, 
you know, my father, you know, he's from the, the East Coast, but as soon as he graduated high school, he moved to uh, San Francisco where he Ashbury. So, and given his era, that was right during the hippie movement. And so, you know, uh, my sister and I growing up, he had very colorful conversations with us and told us about, you know, him doing acid, him doing cocaine, him doing uh, mushrooms, everything. And so that really took a lot of the curiosity um, out of my sister and I. So we really didn't, we just, he was like, the only thing I, if you're going to do anything, just stick to cannabis. And here we are. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. You want to like, when people are like, what about the, the children and wanting to keep everything from them? That's the one thing that I don't think a lot of people are thinking of. When you remove the mystique, it no longer is attractive. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and, all, all with time. And nobody is trying to get your kids high at Halloween by get, putting edibles in their thing. Nobody, nobody is going to give away what they've had to spend so much money on. That's not happening. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got a point there. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not wasting mine. This stuff is. I mean, and you bring up a great point. Like, cannabis is not cheap. Um, not cheap by any means. So. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. What are the prices like in Maryland? Um, so it ranges. I, I think um, on the low end, like if you were to buy like a quarter, uh, not, a, not a quarter, every day's more so eight. Um, so if you buy an eight, you're looking at on a low end, $30 if you can find some good specials. Um, I'd say the average price for eight is probably 50 bucks. Okay, so you're you're com- comparable to what we're seeing here in California too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been out to California many times, and it's, it's interesting though because it, the taxes vary. And I remember, you know, picking up a jar and it was like fifty dollars, and by the time the taxes got included, I was like at seventy bucks. I was like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Not coming to this county anymore. <laughs> no, no, and that's that's one of the biggest disconnects I think from like a policy standpoint. California had really high hopes of getting all these taxes, and that was how they got people to pass legalization. But what they weren't understanding was that all that taxation was going to drive people back to their traditional market. So they, if they had kept the taxation low, they would be making more money in taxes than they are now because more people would be purchasing it from, you know, the regulated market. Exactly. I mean, exactly. And you know, when people talk about like the East Coast versus the West Coast, I always say, well, you got to look at it. You know, they're two different markets in the sense that. You know, California has always been the largest exporter in the country, uh, whereas, like, you look at everyone's very warm and fuzzy about New York and New Jersey, but those two markets have always been the biggest importer of cannabis. So you, know, you really can't compare the two when you think about the history of, of cannabis in those markets, um, for sure. Yeah, that's that's so true. I'm just so glad that New York is coming on board because, you know, it's you know, my husband, Jeff, he played with, the Grateful Dead guys and further and so like they would go into New York and you know New York loves the dead so like Empire State Building would all be in like tie-dye collars you know (laughs) there's a lot of East Coast deadheads and if you're listening hi out there sending you love but you know he's he remarked and one of the things that made him really sad was people getting busted for weed waiting in line to go into the shows you know and And now when we're looking at, you know, legalization there and also the stuff in New Jersey, the fact that they're 
prohibiting people from growing their own really disturbs me. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I just, I mean, you know what it's it's all about. It's all about big business and making sure that if you buy anything, it comes through. You know that that framework, but. I mean, it's just a legal right of anyone to be able to grow cannabis. I feel like they can grow tomatoes. Um, so it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. And I think Maryland's headed in that same direction where they're not going to allow home grow. Um, still trying to remain optimistic, but it's not looking good. See, and that's ridiculous because if, if you know, there are businesses that are lobbying against it because they think it's going to take away from their business, it isn't. It isn't, it no. isn't, it isn't. Like people who grow for themselves usually... You know, there a lot of people do it for the joy of it, and there are people who just cannot, who need need more than they can afford to purchase, or they want to be able to know that, you know, the control they want to have the controls from seed to flower as to how it's been taken care of, but by and large, most of us either don't have green thumbs or we're far too lazy to grow our own. Exactly, exactly. Like me, I can. I don't have a green thumb. Like I'll kill anything. Um, so <laughs> it's just it's just the fact of life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but a hundred percent. Like it's not going to be disruptive of anything. There will be certain people who want to grow. And like I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, and you know the main reason he grows is because he doesn't trust the products that are coming out of the dispensary. Like you know, are, are they really being tested the way they should? Or what chemicals are being used to spray it? Um, you know, like I said about the testing facilities, like that's, that's definitely an oversight in, in the regulatory framework of every state where they've made these testing facilities the police of the industry, but they're privately held. And so that just doesn't work. It's kind of like privatization of jails. That was, that's a disaster. I mean, it just, it's never in anyone's best benefit to do something like that when it comes to regulatory standards. So, right. um, I, I totally get the home growth. They well, and we've and testing has been problematic because you can get diff- you can bring it to one lab and bring it to another, and you might get different things because where's the calibration in the testing? Yep. that's been a big disconnect. And I mean, I don't blame. So I think it should be somebody's right to be able to con- control what they're consuming. You know, I don't. It's not, and not only that, but it actually creates another opportunity for business. So. Then you have a really rich greenhouse, you know, business as well, where you can sell clones, you can sell seeds, you can sell, you know, other products for growing, like different equipment. It actually ends up economically opening up a whole other area of entrepreneurship for people too. And and there's not going to be anything bad that comes out of that. I just, we need to, yeah, I mean, I, what were you going to say? Yeah, it just spurs innovation by having home grow, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. And then there are opportunities for, you know, education and classes and and who knows, maybe even services for people to, like, come and teach somebody at home or, or, or tend it for them. I mean, there's just, there's so much there. And, and I just don't, it's, it's a really interesting thing to see people coming into this sphere that don't understand the culture of cannabis and how it's helping people and they're putting money into creating laws that is just, I mean, we're, we're going from, you know, there, we, we wanted legalization so that nobody would be getting fined or going to jail for consuming or creating or just being 
savvy entrepreneurs, but we've legalized it so that the entry is so high. And we're perpetuating the cycle that was happening before. We're still going to be incarcerating people and, and finding people and, and putting people endangering people. And that's not why we did this. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the barrier to entry is so high. I mean, you know, in order to open up a dispensary, you got to have a minimum of what, like a million dollars liquid. Like who has that? Um, if you want to open up a grow, you got to have a minimum of like three to $5 million liquid. Again, who has that underneath the mattress? And so, you know, you have people who have been really great um, in the legacy market as growers and so forth, but they don't have an opportunity or a shot to uh, cross over into the legal market just because the framework is unrealistic for them to participate in it, uh, which leads to further incarceration and, you know, subject to fines or you know, jail time, everything else. So mm-hmm. you know, we got a, a lot of work to do. Um, right? One of the things I did see that was refreshing is that, like, you know, New Jersey, for example, and their and their regulatory framework that they're establishing is, you know, they have micro licenses so that, you know, you can get in with only, not only, but, you know, a lot less capital mm-hmm. um, and then have the ability to scale up over time. So, you know, we just need to make it equal so that everyone can, you know, enjoy this process of what we're going through. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We've, you know, when we were first proposing equity programs in California, one of the things that I had brought up when we were in task force was, well, you know, if somebody gets busted for having an unregulated business, how about instead of prosecuting and fining, we actually give them like something to like, you know, this is, here's a pamphlet on the different organizations that you can get in contact with to actually bring your business up to speed. And, you know, when we looked at And one of the biggest things that got me with equity, too, is that we had all these guidelines for people to be able to qualify as equity. But there were big loopholes that were making it so that we couldn't we weren't necessarily serving the people that we set out to help. And that was, you know, one of one of the big things. And it's like the stuff that nobody wants to talk about is that, you know, in the beginning, it was like, well, we can't say black and brown communities. We have to say communities impacted by the war on drugs. I'm like, okay, so that lets a lot of other people in who already were privileged enough to make that happen. And that's not cool. And the fact that in California, we've had some really predatory practices around equity programs where equity operators have had partnerships with their companies where they slowly get eked out, they get ripped off, or they can't make decisions. So they're not empowered. It's not their business. No, I, I 100% agree. Um, you know, it's like I, I say, uh, used to say all the time, I still do, is that, you know, like black and brown people, we were what is now called the MSOs. We, we were just given a different term. We were given the term kingpin, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same thing. And like, as you see, like a majority in every state that has legalized cannabis for medical or recreational and claims to have some type of equity program, it hasn't really succeeded, and there's been lawsuits after lawsuits about the problem. And we really—I mean, for me, of course, it's, it pulls on my heartstrings because I'm a minority in this industry. Um, you know, one of the what two, three percent, uh, which is this—you know—that's 
that, that's a problem in itself with making that statement. So we got a lot, of, a lot, a lot more to do. A lot more to do. We do have a lot more to do, but fortunately, as it starts to normalize, there are more organizations that are that their their mission statement is to help the populations that actually need the leg up, and they're they're feeling freer to come in and and do work like. With our, you know, there were some attorney practices that were helping, you know, equity program participants, but they were receiving grants for it and they weren't necessarily nonprofits. They were for profit companies that were doing this work. But now there are nonprofits that have been nonprofits for years that are finally feeling more comfortable to do. Like before I worked, in cannabis, I worked in civil rights. I worked for a lawyer's committee for civil rights of the San Francisco Bay Area, which was founded by RFK. And, of course, when I was working there, we, we weren't talking about weed at work. We were talking about, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we had this program and it still exists there called Legal Services for Entrepreneurs. And we have attorneys from all the big firms, small firms, big firms, you name it. You know, they all have membership at Lawyers Committee. And so our LSE program used pro bono attorneys to help entrepreneurs start their businesses. And there's a lot right. of really cool stuff that came out of that. Um, that's cool. Yeah. You, uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. You're like an onion. Every time I talk to you, it's like building another another layer. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've done a lot of stuff. Some stuff has been like, you know, some stuff's cool. Some stuff's like just kind of like, oh, wow, that that's way out of left field. But it's it's all I've, I've learned so much from every experience. And this was like it was one of the best experiences. I still I still keep in touch with my colleagues. I really love them a lot. And sometimes when I talk about LCCR, I still say we, even though I haven't been there in like 10 years, but I did reach out to them this year um, because Success Centers has been doing some really great work with equity applicants. And I connected them because I thought, you know, hey, now that we're into legalization, you know, will legal services for entrepreneurs have resources for people, you know, in equity programs? And they were thrilled because they had attorneys in the pro bono program that were approaching them saying, hey, you know, I've started doing stuff with cannabis law. Do you have any candidates in your program that might need help with that? And they hadn't even started the outreach yet. So it was kind of a nice... It just it dovetailed so well, and it makes sense because not only are these grants going to be, you know, if if this works out, if they're able to do work with it, the grants will not only help the equity programs, but it's actually going to help an organization that its its foundation is supporting these very same people, and so it's going to go. It's not going into the pockets of people who aren't engaged in civil rights and social justice or going to other projects that aren't associated with this. It's, it's a renewable, it's, it's cyclical. It's, it's sustainable. It's, it's supporting something that we should, I mean, the one thing that got me and I'm sorry, I'm just running off a little bit, but like when I was working in civil rights, that was when Obama was elected. And that day, like the boss said, everybody gets to stay home and watch him get, 
you know, when he gets sworn in and everything. So we're all home on the phones with one another crying and it was really wonderful. But then when we got back to work, <laughs> our funding started to dry up because people were like, oh, we've got a black president now. We don't have any civil rights issues. And we were like, um... <laughs> No, no, this is now, now we have somebody who can help move this effort a lot more forward, you know, um, and be passionate about it because he's, he's been there on the front lines, you know. That's it. That's, that's, that's wild. That's an interesting story. But, you know, then, um, unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me that that funding started to dry up because everyone's like, hey, you know, everyone everyone's treated equally now. We, we just had, it's like a check out of the box when uh, Obama got hired, um, got, got elected. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much more to go. I mean, when people just look at the timeline of, you know, when segregation ended, I mean, we're talking way less than 100 years. I mean, we got so much more to go given, you know, 400 plus years of uh, of people being, um, you know, just completely uh, marginalized. So, you know, it, one of, that's one of the things that was great that I saw when we were at, um, when I was at MJ BizCon. It's like I've gone the last four or five years, you know, with that hiccup there because of COVID. And, you know, each year it's just getting more and more diverse. I see more people that, you know, look like me. I see more women uh, um, showing up. So I think, um, you know, the future is very bright. We just got to make, again, understand what we got in this for and understand that certain aspects of this industry need to be um, address more so than others, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it it also makes my heart really happy to see more people who who look like me in the industry, too. And you're right. We have, we got a lot of work left. There's a lot to go. But, I mean, hey, that means we'll always have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We all got dogs. We all have a purpose here, and uh, this is going to be a long ride, you know. That's it. <laughs> That's sure. it. And and looking at that, like, what are you what are you excited about in the future? What do you what do you what do you think is going to happen? What do you hope to see? Um, well, I you know I, I'm still very optimistic about federal legalization, but um, with that being said, I do expect it to be at least four to eight more years before that that happens. Um, I would like to see, I'm very optimistic that, you know, some of these um, research opportunities with universities um, and independent researchers start to get funded. I mean, I still get excited every time we have a conversation with a researcher or a university, but I do know in the back of my hand, the back of my head that the chances of them getting funded are very slim and it's going to be very tough to do so. I think you know, that will be opening up um, as time goes on. So I'm really excited about the research side of it. Um, and, and one of the things I, 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 one of the things that's really key to my heart is just seeing a standardization when it comes to not only testing of cannabis products, but the labels. Like, it, I, sometimes I really get incensed that maybe I'm just, I get carried away, but I just hate how I travel throughout the country and you know, I'm lucky I'm spoiled by being here in Maryland where every product has a label that tells me exactly what terpene and cannabinoids in it. Um, if I go to PA, same thing there. But once I get out of PA and I go to, you know, Massachusetts, New Jersey, whatever, I no longer have access to that information. And I just think it's ridiculous that, you know, cannabis being something just like any other product that people consume, you know, we can easily get uh, access to the ingredients of 
within that loaf of bread or within that water, but when it comes within that drink, but when it comes to cannabis, you know, why don't we have that same access to that information? And so I think um, I'm very hopeful, and I, I, th- I see the tide turning slowly, very slow, but um, we definitely need to have a standard approach so that we know that every product that we buy, we can see what those ingredients are. Because when I travel to, like, again, like California, there's no turkeys and cannabinoids for the most part on the label, so I don't know I don't know how to shop or what I want, you know? Right, right, yeah. And, it's few and far between. I'm really hoping that we catch up on that. Yeah, so I mean, I talk to endless doctors every day, and they travel across the country too. And it's like, oh, I don't know what to buy because I, I didn't, I didn't even. All the only thing I got was a THC amount, and that's just, that's just, uh, that's subpar. You know, that's really subpar. We're, we're doing the consumer real and just by not providing the full story of that product um, to their fingertips. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right about that. And for our listeners, if they want to follow you on social media or check out the app or contact you, how, how can they do that? Uh, great. Uh, the best way to contact me is through um, Instagram. Um, so uh, you can find us at the Tetragram app on Instagram. Uh, the same with Facebook at the Tetragram app. And for Twitter, it's um, at Tetragram just because you know how this industry is. And so we had our Twitter account shut down. So we had to start a new one. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm a software company. I'm like, give me a break here. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the best way to reach me. And then, of course, on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Like, I keep that window open every day. So, uh, you know, Oka Smith, O T H A. Smith is how you can find me on LinkedIn. So uh, please reach out. I encourage people to give us all the feedback um, related to our platform so that we can build the best thing for for the people. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for you, for those of you out there listening, remember Planted is twice a month. And we are on on Instagram. We are Planted with Sarah. We are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. We are Planted with Sarah on Twitter. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. And of course, you can find us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network. You can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So we are on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, Listen In, Pandora, you name it. We're there. And if you want to share a good thing, remember, our podcast is word of mouth. So Share your favorite episodes with your friends. Write a review for us so that I know that you're listening. And and if you're liking it, let me know. And if you want to hear other people or there are other things that you want to hear on the podcast, I'd love to hear that too because I'm doing this for you. And Otha, thank you so much for being with me today. I, I always have fun talking to you and I'm just really excited to be able to share your brilliance and your app with the world and I'm looking forward to even more great deep nerdy conversations with you in the future oh likewise Sarah I mean the pleasure is all mine I um, I really cherish our relationship our friendship um, and thank you for this opportunity to uh, speak with you today and uh, speak to your listeners so let's have a great weekend and uh, continue to push on oh thank you you too and for all of you out there Until we meet again, remember, it's a crazy world out there. Be kind to one another. Stay safe. And until we meet again, stay curious. Take care, everybody.